0: Welcome to an emergency recording session of Hey, great shot. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me as always, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the first call I made after Jack Sox victory, Max Rothman. Hey, great shot. He
1: literally <laughs> called me immediately. It is- hilarious
0: i mean we were texting during the match i was sending you my face show you what i was looking like it, it was. i mean it was a big
1: moment for me it, well it's a big moment for american tennis it's crazy so if you don't know
0: what we're talking about jack sock this past weekend became the first american male since 2010 to win a master series title of course andy roddick won the 2010 miami tournament some other things he snapped a 107 tournament winning streak in Masters Series 1000s, Grand Slams, and World Tour Finals by European men. That's really something.
1: 107 in a row? I mean, literally seven years' worth of tournaments have been won by European men. And who would have thought? Jack Sock. I guess, you know what, that doesn't surprise me.
0: No, really impressive. I mean, a couple other things. He became the first American since Marty Fish in 2011 to qualify for the World Tour Finals. He cracked the top 10, the first American to do so since Isner in 2014. I mean,
1: we've been talking about who's going to crack the top 10 of these young Americans. I mean, he's not considered the young American anymore, but we haven't seen an American crack the top 10 in a while.
0: So then let's get right into it. What does this result do for your projections on Jack Sock's career? Just so you listeners are aware, Jack Sock, though he's been on tour for seven years, turned 25 this past September. So really, he's just entering his physical prime. What do you think?
1: You know, yes, I think, you know, we've seen him progress a lot over the last year or two. But does this have implications for the next year or so? I'm not so sure. Um, you know, his ranking will help him get better seating in some of these tournaments, and which doesn't always help because you get guys in the early rounds who are still very high caliber of, of a player. And you have to recognize that the draw he had in this tournament was a bit of a fluke.
0: Yeah, so let's set the scene a little bit. Coming into this tournament... No Federer, no Murray, no Djokovic, no Arinka, no Nishikori, even no Milos Raonic.
1: And we lost Nadal halfway through exactly. the tournament. Exactly. He
0: was number one in the world, and then he was good to go. So let's talk about who Jack Sock beat. First round, he beat Kyle Edmund in three. Then he beat home favorite Lucas Pui. He beat Fernando Verdasco in three. He beat a white-hot Julian Beneto, And then he beat an even hotter Philip Krajinovic. And so you know, not the most impressive draw. What did you think? How did Sock play? Was there something noticeably different about his game or was it simply a product of the dearth of top players?
1: You know, I think he was playing well. I'm not going to take away the credit from him because, you know, you don't win an ATP 1000 by playing poorly. Um, but, you know, you really got to say that this draw was the the main factor contributing to his win. I think the the highest ranking ranked player that he beat in this tournament was ranked 18 in the world and you know usually you don't see that in in a champion of an atp 1000
0: and you know coming into the tournament there really was an opportunity for a couple of players to qualify for that atp world tour finals you know pablo Carreno Busta, uh, sam query kevin anderson people who had had results at slams were the front runners and Early on in the tournament, they all fell, and so credit to Jack Sock for taking this opportunity. I really thought he played with renewed confidence. You know, swagger is an overused term in tennis because how do you quantify swagger? But you can definitely notice confidence, and whether it's looking towards his box, you know, hitting the forehand confidently, he looked good.
1: Yeah, and, and I think this is something you may disagree with me on, but I do feel like he was hitting the backhand well. I know we always criticize his backhand, and it's something that... Rightfully he, so. Yeah, absolutely. It's something he will forever need to work on, but especially in his match with Krajanovic in the finals, he hit the backhand well, and I think that's what helped him beat a red-hot Krajanovic in this tournament.
0: You know, that's a match, Sock one five seven six four six one. They're really, It really just seemed like he needed a second to get his bearings in the match to kind of settle in, realize, okay, I need to play my style of big serve plus one tennis where I'm dictating with the forehand and moving in. And he did do a good job of executing.
1: Yeah, I mean, that first set honestly should have been socks and Absolutely, he was the better player throughout. Yeah, and, and I think it shows the fact that he was able to, to take the next, next set 6-4 and then you know the following 6-1. Uh, but the thing that I'd really love to see was just the emotion that Sock had in this match. Uh, you know, even though this, as we've said, was a was a draw that was, you know, a little bit easier than most, this was clearly a big moment for him. You know, I think he realized that there hasn't been an American in an ATP 1000, or to win an ATP 1000 in a long time, and this is one of his biggest uh, tournament results in his career. Well, here's
0: another little funky stat. By winning this title, Sock becomes the first player ever to win an Olympic gold medal, a doubles grand slam, a mixed doubles grand slam, and a singles ATP Masters title. So to say we've never seen Sock succeed before would be a lie. He has had a lot of sex. Of uh, sex. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: he, Whoa, wow. Hey, great <laughs> shot there. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: my God. He has, <laughs> It's been a long night. It's 1230 <laughs> yeah. on a freaking Wednesday. He has had a lot of success, and most of it has been on a doubles court. And so, you know, one of our issues with Sock is he's never been the fittest of players. He seems to have come to a point, though, where he manages his schedule properly, where he's not playing in every doubles event, but he's still, you know, maintaining that enthusiasm for doubles and making sure he's having fun with the sport. Does he move particularly well? No. But he does move well enough to protect his backhand and make sure he's hitting forehands. However, I know you're going to say you loved his passing shot to win the second set. But too often, Sock is too comfortable just slicing the backhand back in play and trying to get the point to neutral.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, the the one of the bigger rules in tennis is you don't slice to the guy at the net. And so, of course, he's going to go for that shot, but he's got to go for it more. Like you said, he's he needs to move away from relying on that slice to keep him in points.
0: Well, I think too often he does slice it when the other player is coming to the net, and that's when he gets in trouble because it's yeah. a terrible shot selection. And, you know, one of the most frustrating things is he has all of this talent on the serve, on the forehand. You don't need to go Mach 12 the entire time. Sometimes the 85% ball, you know, working the ankle, opening up the court for yourself is plenty And you, and he just needs to be a little bit more disciplined with his shot selection. And so I actually think, though, his best match of the tournament was his win. You know, OK, his win over Puy was great, but his win over Beneteau. Benito coming into the match beat Shapovalov, Tsonga, Goffin, and Chilich. That is a red-hot Benito in front of a Paris home crowd. And for Sock to get that win,
1: very impressive. And handily. 5-2 is a pretty easy win, in my opinion. No,
0: he played really well. <clears throat> Some of the other things, though, that were interesting from Paris, you know, again, Sock had this opportunity because you saw Dominic team fall early, Zverev fall early, Dimitrov fall early, Del Potro and Isner playing a marathon of a quarterfinal that probably drained Isner ultimately, and that's why he lost the semi to Krajinovic. So that was really the one good match. I guess my question for you is, given those early losses and all of these top players missing from the draw should we have a serious conversation about shortening the season
1: you know that's something that you know you and i have talked about for a while and it's hard to say i think it it one tests these players i think it allows for some of the guys in the range of 50 to 100 get a chance to play in some of the bigger tournaments. Imagine if there weren't as many tournaments and, and the season was shorter. I think you'd see a lot of guys frustrated. I think there would be an even, even bigger disparity of the guys who can be successful on the tour. Um, but I think that's also why we see a lot of these top guys pulling out of tournaments midway at the end of the year. It, it is a long season and a month to rest is debatably too short.
0: I completely agree, and look, Federer has made a wise decision to skip clay season, especially at his age. You're just not going to be able to put that many repetitions on your body, and he's become aware of this, I think, Murray, Djokovic, all of these guys, Stan, Nishikori, they shut it down because they know their body is down in a position to where they're going to be competing at a top level in 2018. And the ATP Tour should never be in a position of putting their players in that situation. And, you know, they should want their players to be thriving. You see the NBA trying to reduce its schedule less back nights for teams before they're on prime time, you know if Roger Federer is injured and missing the U.S. Open, that's tennis's prime time. That's our one chance to shine above all sports to be the coverage on ESPN. And we need to make sure our players are in a position to succeed. So it really would not shock me if the dialogue moving forward is how we can combat this and shorten the season.
1: And you know what? And maybe that's the reason that Kranovic was able to be successful. He he hasn't probably had as long a season as some of these other guys. And and let's talk a little bit about him, because we've given a lot of attention to Sock. He had an impressive tournament. An amazing tournament. Seriously, you know, he not only was he a qualifier, but he took out some good guys. Took out Query 4-4, four and four, took out Mahout in three sets. Yes, got the withdrawal from Nadal, but also took out Isner in three sets, which is impressive. I mean, that is a hard person to... Especially 7-6 in the third. Any tiebreak win over Isner is extremely impressive. Absolutely. And uh, kind of a crazy, you know, tournament for him. This not only brought him up 44 spots in the rankings to 33, which is his career high, he also earned $485,000 from this tournament, which is about a third of his career earnings in one tournament.
0: I mean, that's ridiculous. If I was him, I'm going straight to Italy with those next-gen players and <laughs> I
1: mean, right away. I'm going I to that be, draw ceremony. I would not be surprised if he was there right now parting it up. <laughs> so speaking of
0: which... That brings us to the next thing we want to discuss. We do want to have a conversation about the next-gen finals and what we've thought of the rule changes so far, but we have to start with the controversy surrounding the draw ceremony If you haven't seen what happened yet, I really suggest you go watch some videos. You can find them all over Twitter and, you know, Google isn't dead yet, so just go search that as well. So the draw ceremony event was put on by the sponsor Red Bull, not by the Italian Tennis Federation, you know, not by the ATP Tour, though I'm sure they knew what was going to happen. And Red Bull, in an attempt, they said, to promote Italy's culture, had these beautiful supermodels bring these, you know... Under twenty-one-year-old men out onto the stage, and to find out their draw selection, you had players using their teeth and pulling gloves off of these models. You had models exposing themselves—you know, not entirely, but exposing a lot of their body—to these players to show them what group they were in. It was really funny. If you watch Jared Donaldson, you see how uncomfortable God, he, looks he looks during so the whole awkward, event. so yeah. awkward. And so, you know, just given the current climate of things, <clears throat> it was a really tone-deaf move. By the entire event, to not be aware of what's going on and being aware how you know people could be offended by the sexualizing how people could be offended by the entire situation I want to get your
1: take I mean I completely agree you know I understand the the intention behind you know combining the the models with the players you know Milan being one of the you know fashion capitals of the world and and bringing in these young guys to to pair up with models and, and bringing in the fashion. You know, it's it's everything you'd want to see with the sport, uh, but the way that they went about it was just poor. It was in bad taste. Like you said, they have to recognize the What's climate in yeah. the world right now and, and to not have thought about the implications of, you know, ripping off clothing with teeth from these younger guys. It is... You know a, a little short sighted in my opinion,
0: my biggest problem with the entire thing is the next gen finals are supposed to spotlight the future of tennis, right There are all these innovative rule changes which we 'll get to there are all these young talents that we 're hoping will be the face of tennis for the future, and this is going to be a lot of people 's first impression of them and so i 'm all for trying to broaden the appeal and do an event like this where you bring in an exciting sponsor like Red Bull to try and spice up the event and you know have it appeal to the youth and to a 16-year-old kid nothing looks better than models it's just you cannot alienate the rest of the fan base you cannot make it look like such an immature sport
1: yeah i agree i think you know that was probably part of the original intention of this partnership and it's just unfortunate that the the way that it unfolded Absolutely.
0: Uh, But let's get into the fun part of the next gen finals. Let's talk about the rule changes. You know, they're featuring a court with no doubles alleys. They're playing best of five sets to four, no ad scoring. What are your thoughts?
1: It's kind of like our club tennis trials. It's amazing.
0: And the quick pace, they are, you know, I understand why traditionalists would say the scoring in tennis is perfect. The seven deuce game is something that, you know, it's a match within itself. It's something that is so, so appealing to so many fans. But the high pressure intensity of a deuce point, the idea that if you get broken at one all, you might be done for the set. And that is crucial. It makes every point that much more important. Important.
1: Important. 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 (laughs) What is wrong with me? Uh, It's a long night. Um, (laughs) You know, I agree. You know, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about club tennis is those high pressure moments of the no ad scoring. But the other thing I did want to comment on that you just brought up was the court without doubles alleys. It is funky. It's so I've played on a court without double eyes before, and it's so weird how it makes you feel like you're on such a smaller court. It really does. You feel conf- more confined in your shots. Like you, I got nervous hitting wide, and, and I think we've actually seen a little bit of that in the shot choice of the players. They're not hitting. You know, as many angles, the points seem to be a little bit longer because they're a little bit more nervous to to bring them off the court.
0: You know, the ATP only shows highlights of winners, and so some of the highlights I've seen have been limited, but a lot of the winners seem to be going down the line. I wonder if players, you know, their depth perception is off because there's no alley.
1: Seriously, it does really change your perception of the court it's it's a weird it also looks like
0: they're moving like crazy yes (laughs) they're everywhere they're covering the court right and yeah these guys are young and they're probably you know really fighting out there but it looks like they're covering everything no (laughs) stone is left unturned it's pretty wild i don't really dislike it i you know would you want to add a major i guess no absolutely not you say absolutely not no what about no ad Oh, at a major? Yeah, still best of five sets, regular no, scoring think, except for no ad.
1: Like, my first thought goes to the isner mahut match. Can you imagine that? Yeah,
0: thank God. Day three of that match was a waste of time. Like
1: sure, it but was. Sweet. Then we wouldn't have had the this best thing. Crazy to, the history. best
0: thing to come out of that match was the Andy Samberg John Snow <laughs> documentary. That's the only good thing. The seven can... Days in Hell. Oh,
1: that is a great. If you haven't seen that and you like tennis, go watch it. Yeah, it's it's just so funny, so comical. Serena makes an appearance. Oh, it's, it's great. great.
0: <laughs> Johnny Max
1: in it. It's perfect. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. So yeah, what's your favorite of the rule changes? I haven't really noticed anything other than the court aesthetics to be honest maybe because I'm used to no ad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would obviously I'm a fan of the, the four games. I think that's the a pretty interesting way to go about it. And making them go three out of five is at, is at least a little bit more interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. I want to talk about the results real quick. Unfortunately, we're recording this before it ends, but it looks like the best players in the tournament draw thus far have been Hyung Chung of Korea and Borna Cioric of Croatia, I just what what have you thought? Who I mean, Shapovalov got a win today, but he didn't really look that impressive. Hatchnov Rublev, Medvedev looked the same. Yeah, I was Donaldson gonna say sucked.
1: Yes, I mean Donaldson was bad, but I, I watched the Shapovalov vs. Chung match. You know, when I was watching that first set, I I really saw Shapovalov taking it in three, and you know. A uh, Chung, uh, you know, he's p- played well in the match, but he's not the kind of guy who's going to go out there and hurt you and... That's just a match that shapalov has got to win, you know. If he wants to prove that he can be one of these next guys to break the top twenty, the top ten, he's got to take control of that match and, and beat Chung handily.
0: Well, I mean, we just talked about the schedule and how rigorous it is and how hard it is on these he's players' been playing body, a lot. But Chung has been moving incredibly well for a tournament that started in November. For Chung to still have this much leg underneath him, obviously that prize money at the end is you know all the incentive one would need. And I think you see that in. Torch's play as well,
1: but Chung has been a wall out there. I mean, the guy's just not missing. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, I think the prize money is huge. You know, $30,000 per win. That's Is it really? $30,000 $30, per, per win. I didn't know that. That's a, it's a pretty that hefty oh prize for, for a couple sets of tennis. That's <laughs> Let me tell you, I would I would take that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Especially if it's only up to four and it's no ad. I'm entirely in on that. Oh, I'm there. Okay, given what you've seen, I'll give you a chance to mend your prediction I took George, I'm sticking with him. Who are you
1: taking? You I, said Shapovalov. You still... I'm going stick with him. I, I know he didn't look good in that first set. He took the win today. I think he could pull it out. Well, of the
0: Russians, Hachnov, Rublev, Medvedev, who do you like the most?
1: I like Rublev's game. Yeah? I really do.
0: You know, the Italian Gianluigi Quinzini, he he gave uh, Rublev a real test in that first match, and credit to him for utilizing that Italian crowd. Yeah. But yeah, Rublev's forehand is really something. Dude, Rublev, he's also moving well. quarterfinalist at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Yeah, he can really. I mean, another player who protects his backhand, but I think he doesn't need to.
1: I like his backhand. Uh, you're you're right. He does have a solid backhand, but maybe that's where he's going to distinguish himself. Is if he can, you know, move around it and, and utilize the forehand. Maybe that's where he'll be successful.
0: I will say, high energy matches. These guys are out there. They competing. want it. Yeah, absolutely. It is refreshing. Between this and Laver Cup, we have really been treated to some excellent end-of-year events.
1: Yeah, and let's hope that there's uh, maybe a couple more of these new events coming up in the coming years. No, for sure, but with that we'll end our emergency podcast. Max
0: Rothman, thank you for joining me on such short notice. Of
1: course, anything for a Jack sock win.
0: <laughs> exactly, again special hey, great shot to him again, and you know, of course, Max Fligner, our super producer, thank you as always, you have a heck of a job to do. But for Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, Max Fligner... We say to you, hey,
1: ATP Next Gen Finals, great shot. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. A Great Shot Production.